Episode 131, Marvel's Jessica Jones, Season 1, Episode 2, a.k.a. Crush Syndrome. Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Welcome back, agents or detectives or PIs. <laughs> what are we going to call ourselves? I'm going to stick with agents. This is Agent Daniel. And yeah, we're here to talk about more Jessica Jones in a calm and relaxed manner. But I'm not alone. I'm here with my good friend. Hey, man, I'm just playing it cool. Just chilling. Just relaxing there, buddy. I'm not relaxing. I can't relax, but I can play it cool. Is that because we've got like 11 more episodes to go? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. No, no, we we want to we want to play it cool because you know that's the way the detectives do what they do. They they play it cool as you have the smooth jazz playing in the background and there's no emotion. Wait, no, no, she gets plenty emotional in this episode. So, never mind, strike that. But, well, Ben, yeah, we we don't have any intelligence report today. No, no, no news items. No news items. No news items. Which which could become pretty standard for us on these Jessica Jones episodes. Quite possibly. So make sure you pay attention to Facebook. But So I think we should go straight into, what did you name it? The Preliminary Investigations. Preliminary Investigation. Okay, so for the Netflix series, like Jessica Jones here, we spoil everything. We binge-watched one time already. Um, although I wouldn't call it binge watching for you, Daniel, when it's one episode every month or so, it's really, well, it was a good pace for me. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, and when you say spoil everything, we're going to spoil everything up to this point of the episodes. So, yes. Yeah. So no spoilers for, for episode three. I'm going to be honest with you, Ben, and I don't want to talk about it right now, but Stan Lee may have spoiled something for me with the show because he didn't have this policy. So our assumption is, is you may not binge. You may watch it at a more leisurely pace, much like I do. Yeah. If you do binge watch, you will probably catch us saying things that are alluding to things in the future, but not spoiling anything in the future. And if you do not, if you're watching along with this episode, uh, so you've just watched episode two and now are listening to this, we are not going to spoil episode three for you. Also, if you are listening to us now because the content is too dark or too graphic or simply just too much, uh, you know, we're talking about these episode by episode and building the conversation about the characters in that way, doing our best to only talk about what you should know if you've watched this episode. Episode two which is, uh, I forgot the episode title, but it doesn't matter. You already said AKA it. AKA Crush Syndrome, as I said at the beginning, sir. Crush Syndrome. I, I said, you know, you, you've already said it, and I, I don't need to remember it because you already said it. So, yeah. And so the way we do this is we've binge watched, we've watched this ahead of time, and we sent in via voicemail, which you can also do, by the way, but we have called the Welcome to Level 7 voicemail and left our initial reactions right after watching the episode for the first time. Our, the rest of our discussion comes from multiple viewings since then. 
but this is us raw, unedited, three minutes voicemail. And I don't know about you, but I'm interested to hear what past Ben and past Daniel had to say about this episode. Are you? I am on pins and needles. Well, let's let's give it a listen. Hello, Dandy Daniel Butcher and future depressed Ben. <laughs> I know, Ben. You binge this thing. And that probably is making you, you know, a little emotional. I'm just saying, you know, you can move on, dude. You can move on. Episode 2, a.k.a. Crush Syndrome, in the books for Daniel. Things got me excited. We're seeing Luke Cage in action. Seeing Luke Cage uh, get stabbed and then, wow, talking about making an entrance. I mean, I saw Luke. I really am, like, impressed. That, that makes an impression. You don't really have a lot of debate after that. I am a little... uh curious, confused, stressed out about the fact that, well, this is slow, Helion. It is super slow. Super slow. Slow. Makes me wonder, maybe, instead of a 13-episode miniseries, maybe we should have gone instead with a... uh, Maybe we need to go with a, uh, you know, a TV movie, like they're talking about with, uh, with Iron Fist, because this is slow. Alright, there's my thoughts. I'm okay with this episode. <laughs> now I'm like, I'm gonna go to my closet, and I'll, uh, try not to let myself. Peace out later, bye. <laughs> You very strongly uh, felt feelings of slowness. Yeah. And I think that's fair. I really do. I mean, we're comparing it to other things in the MCU. I, I know that's not always fair just because of the fact, you know, we have different genres. But this is really slow compared to some of the other things that we've had. I mean, again, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., first half of the season, we we were running. Yeah. We were sprinting. And now we get to see the bad guy for two minutes. Well, you know what I mean? And, and that's one thing that did make it a little harder to binge watch um, was – there wasn't a real fast pace drawing you in and keeping you adrenalized. Now, the second time I watched it, I mean, I, to prepare for this episode, it was easy to watch in the background because I wasn't worried about missing anything. <laughs> well, let's see what, what I had to say, what uh, past Ben had to say about this episode. So here it is. Hey, future Daniel and future Ben, how are you guys doing this fine, fine day? I have just watched the second episode of Jessica Jones, known as also known as Chase, no, Crush Syndrome. And uh, Ben, don't screw this discussion up, man. Future Ben, when you watch this for the second time, you need to remember some things. You need to remember all the eyes. And you need to remember the filming techniques of just looking through windows all the time, okay? If you don't 
talk about that, I'm going to be extremely, extremely disappointed in you. Which means you are going to be extremely, extremely disappointed in you. And you don't want to be disappointed in you, do you? I don't think so. Also, Luke Cage. There he is. <laughs> He's powered. So what's going on here? Will the Luke Cage series be a prequel? I I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think. I, I'm curious about all the timelines. Uh, I'm also curious because there's not a lot of reference to other MCU stuff going on, except for Luke Cage in these two episodes, but we'll find out more. Beyond that, um, uh, uh, Kilgrave, pretty terrible, and that's good, but we, uh, we're getting to know him, and I don't like him, <laughs> so that's also good. And, yeah, I think that's about it for this initial reaction, this episode, the strong episode. But it's very different. I mean, this is a slow burn. This is a personality-driven show. This is a character-driven thing. And that's great. It's great because it's different. I, I'm liking Daredevil. I like Daredevil more. I don't know how you're going to feel future, Ben. Uh, but as of right now, yeah, I like Daredevil better. But this is different. So I'm going to like it in a different way. That's all I have to say. Talk to you later. Ben, don't screw up this discussion. Okay? You did great on Daredevil, relatively speaking. So don't screw it up for Jessica Jones. Bye. Well, that has to be uncomfortable. A little bit. Although I did already talk about the windows and, and how you're always looking through windows or looking through bars and stuff. We talked about that last episode. So we kind of jumped the gun on him then. But, um, yeah, I, we do need to talk a little bit maybe about some well as we're talking about style and plot and character and uh and theme um one of the style things is definitely yeah seeing people's eyes people's eyes and they're looking and they're um it's it's definitely a part of the style of filming for these early early episodes so yeah uh the other thing is past Ben didn't notice this, I guess, but uh, he's talking about not, not a lot of connection to the MCU broader universe uh, as of this episode. But in this episode, there was a moment in the hospital where you hear people talking and it's quiet. It's muffled because it's off to the side, but it's clear right there in the subtitles where they're talking about a guy named Wilson. And they say, his name's Wilson. His name's Wilson. Now, what else could that be talking about? But uh, the uh, movie Castaway. Well, it, the question is for me: Is Wilson in the hospital right now? Uh, you know, when when Jessica's walking through the hospital in those beautiful, beautiful scrubs. So, I don't know. They're talking about Wilson in the hospital, and there's some police nearby. That's all I know about it. So. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. You, you've you never been known to do that before. Never. Ever. Ever. Cellist notwithstanding. Surveillance report. I don't know if there's a lot more to talk about with the style of this episode and the si style of the series. Nope. Um, pretty much uh, the I, same. <laughs> I think we're going to wrap it up right yeah. here. But let's talk about the plot of this episode. I, I've got I got my outline here. It's a little bit there's a little bit more going on, I think. But um, 
very quickly, Jessica Jones is being interrogated about the Schlotman murder, about the, the Hope's parents have been killed. She's being um, interviewed by Detective Oscar Clemens, who I did look up, Daniel. That guy is a 616 character. He's a police officer Ooh. detective who shows up in some Punisher comics. Maybe one. I don't know. But I did look it up to see. And that is he does have a connection there. So that's good. Uh, they have illegally seized some photos of Luke Cage, and they're trying to find out how does Luke tie into this murder situation. Um, and they actually end up sending some people over to investigate him. And he knows that they're doing it because of her. And she reveals to him that she was watching him because she was hired to watch him by the husband of the woman that Luke is having an affair with. Of course, Luke doesn't think it's had an affair because he thinks she's unmarried. Then we uh, get some nice imagery here with a cockroach, and we'll talk about the cockroach when we get into the theme. At least that's when I would like to talk about the cockroach. But we get voiceover again, that de kind of detective noir feel. Uh, she's talking about Kilgrave and how, how is he still alive? And then that's where you have the cockroach. You know, with the cockroaches, it's a very... Uh, adaptable animal and they say cockroaches will be the animals that survive the nuclear holocaust and Kilgrave has survived like a cockroach she goes to visit hope hope is in prison hanging a lampshade on it jessica needs more information about Kilgrave. we find out some more details about hope and what she did with Kilgrave and how he made her jump and keep jumping and jumping was her sport in high school he has now completely ruined the joy that she would have had with that and also just ruined her a little bit more with each jump. Jessica is the only person who knows hope is innocent. So Jessica goes to Hogarth, the lawyer and tries to get her to take the case because hope did not kill her parents. She was under mind control. Hogarth wants to know how can Jessica prove that a mind controller exists? And that's the question that Jessica is going to have to handle right now. Meanwhile, we find out that Hogarth's wife knows she is having an affair in a subplot that really only makes sense because we are watching a 13-hour movie. This 30-second interlude in this episode does not support this episode at all, but it does support some character stuff that's going to happen later on. Meanwhile, Trish Walker has been stalking Jessica and finally finds her, pushes to get inside Jessica's life, goes to the apartment, but Jessica completely denies her any kind of in. And then uh, Luke Cage and his affair, this woman that he's been seeing, uh, he tells her that he knows that she's married. He tells her he knows she takes off her wedding ring before she meets him, meets with him, and then tells her that a private investigator was hired by her husband. Jessica, meanwhile, has a flashback to the accident that hurt Kilgrave. There is blood on her hands. She's walking across the street. He's yelling at her to come back, and she is not coming back. She is in shock. From there, she goes to the hospital where Kilgrave would have been taken after being hit by a bus on that particular street. There's some more mystery stuff going on, and she goes home with some information. Not a lot, but someone is in her apartment. When she gets there and it's scary, there's some clicks and there's a saw sound and it turns out it's the guy who was sent there to fix her door. She attacks him first. There's a lot of paranoia going on in her reaction. But again, what we know about Kilgrave, not completely um, out of 
uh, out of the realm of reasonable behavior. Unfortunately, um, dude has to go away in an ambulance, which gives her an idea. She visits the ambulance driver who disappeared from the scene of the accident. He had a stroke and is on life support machine. That's a dialysis machine because he has given away two of his kidneys. She gets some information, but cannot assist in his request for suicide. She then investigates the dialysis machine, finds out where it came from and that kind of thing. Meanwhile, Luke's lady comes to confront Jessica Jones and Jessica Jones rushes to Luke's bar because the lady's husband and his rugby team are going there to beat him up. This is where we find out Luke's got powers. There's a fight scene and Luke and Jessica kind of give each other a look after the fight because they both have revealed stuff that is impossible. The machine trail leads her to a Dr. Karata. Karata a doctor who is now a professor who runs away from her as soon as he sees her in talking to him after finally catching up with him. She figures out that surgical anesthesia is Kilgrave's weakness and Karada is now also going to tell his story to Hogarth to help hope. Hogarth agrees to represent hope as a, her lawyer. Trish, meanwhile, sends a new window to Jessica Jones tries to get back into Jessica's life. And we also find out that Trish is learning to take care of herself by taking self-defense classes that are pretty intense. Kilgrave then invades a home, orders people to do some things that they would not regularly do. And they just obey passively. And we get to finally see him in action. And it's quite frankly, horrifying. The cockroach returns out of Jessica's sink drain and she smushes it because she now knows Kilgrave's weakness. Then Luke breaks into her house and uses Chekhov's buzzsaw on his stomach to show he is impervious to injury through his skin. That's our plot for this episode. A little bit longer than last time, but a lot of new stuff well, going on. I think we can just walk away now. Maybe, maybe not. I think we should look at the characters, maybe. And okay. I, I sent you a list, and, and the way I'm seeing all the characters in this episode, and the way I'm kind of seeing our discussion in this episode, is who are these characters in relation to Jessica Jones? And what does that relationship reveal to us about Jessica Jones? This is a person, Daniel, who is on the screen almost the entire time. And Kristen Ritter had better, I mean, she's got to be good if she's going to do this. And the question is, and maybe we'll answer this question at the end of this episode, is she pulling it off? Is she able to handle all the screen time all the time? So I, You don't want me to answer now, right? No, that's what I said. End of the episode. I'm going to give it a solid maybe. <laughs> all right. Well, that's the beginning of the episode, so why, why don't we continue talking here? And my list, I started with the most important characters and kind of taper off toward the end in case we run out of time. Does that okay. sound good? Let's do it. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, Luke Cage. He's awesome. Luke Cage and Jessica. Their relationship is oh. based on antagonism and lies and powers. It, and there's a lot going on with this relationship in this episode. Good point. Good point. I like the power stuff. I, I'm a comic book fan. So I enjoyed seeing a big fight where we had someone try to cut Luke. 
I thought that was cool. It was nice to see his unbreakable skin get used in that way up front versus the chainsaw. I mean, the chainsaw is a nice introduction. I told a, uh, a co-worker that when they went to meet their newborn nephew recently, they needed to make sure to open with a good joke because they're a newborn and you want to make a good impression. And this was a good joke. And uh, Luke, Luke did a good job there. He really set everyone straight. He is unbreakable. We, we see it in the fight. We see it with the chainsaw. Well, the buzz saw. But I liked it. I mean, it's true to form. It's yeah. the Luke Cage we expect. Well, the fight was fun, mainly because I mean, he, as he's fighting, he's just like, I don't care. You know, you can hit me, but I'm just going to – it doesn't phase him. He turns around. He just kind of accepts the punishment that's coming his way because it doesn't hurt him at all. And, you know, they come – they try and cut him, and he's just – Okay, now I have to turn around and take care of this guy. And but then the fight scene serves a, a big purpose, which is for Jessica and Luke to realize that they have powers. They each have powers. Truth. So so their relationship. Yet, their relationship is we still don't understand why Jessica's so interested, but obviously she's willing to lie to her his his girlfriends. Yeah, and, and this is what we get at the end. At the beginning, it's totally plausible, totally plausible for her to be investigating him for having an affair with someone's uh, someone's wife. What's not plausible, we find out then later on, is that you know he didn't hire her. That's a yeah. problem. She she's, she's doing lying. this for another reason than what she said. So what's so there's the a lie, lie for? Yeah, yeah. And she's causing trouble for him. He does not like having police involved in his business. Uh, which, you know, I don't. I, police are not good for business, really. I, I mean, any kind of especially when you're at a bar. Yeah. But yeah, so that's the relationship is based on she's lying to him, and she's causing trouble for him. But then they're similar to each other. She's able to toss a guy through a window. And he's able to take a beer bottle to the neck and not not even phase him. So. Yep. And that was probably the fastest paced part of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it was over so quick. So quick. But. Are you surprised that he has powers already when you're watching no, this episode? I, we've been told a few times they're trying to get away from origins. So it makes sense to get this reveal. Um, later, I'm assuming we'll go back maybe in his own series. You know, if I had to guess this early in the show. This early yeah. in the show, I was surprised to find out he had powers, though. Um, I kind of expected him to go through the entire series, really, without any powers. But... Well, the it was thing a pleasant is, is we know that Don't Luke get me wrong. Had, we, yeah, we we know Luke's had to have been at prison, right? Don't you think they'll keep that in the MCU wing? There's some some form of run in with the law. Yeah, and so maybe it has something to do with the lady in the picture. Uh, and that's what, what can we? At this point, we can only we can only guess what what does it have to do with. Um. But yeah, he's 
it's nice that he's coming into this fully formed, really. He's got a backstory. He has his own powers. He has his own origin. And, you know, we're going to get Jessica Jones's origin, I would hope, from this series. But Luke Cage, I was surprised to see how how much a part of the series he was just in these first two episodes. Yeah, this is definitely feeling like Jessica and Luke. Yeah. So another big, 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 important, important, important person in this series, in this episode is Hope. And she's the lampshaded character here. Hope is now in prison. And if you look at Jessica Jones' soul, Hope is also in prison. But yeah, they also have kind of an antagonistic relationship. Well, I mean, she's going to blame the fact that her parents are dead on Jessica. Which, again, we talk about this all the time. You know, can you really blame that person or do you blame the villain that actually did it? And you see her point in this case. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, you know. Colson made sure Ward was dead. Jessica didn't make sure Kilgrave was. No, she didn't. And Hope's solution for Jessica is you should just kill yourself. Well, it's a solution to save her pain. If you're going to save the torture and pain that he is planning for you, you should just kill yourself. Yeah. But Jessica's advice for hope is it's not your fault. It's not your fault that you did this. And of course that's where you get the, no, it's your fault, but hope is damaged. I mean, no, Ben, it's your fault. You're a hot mess of fault right now. (laughs) It's because hope is damaged, Daniel. And if you look at my soul, hope is also damaged. And, and, you know, Hope is, in in a lot of ways, a reflection of Jessica's, I I don't know if innocence is the right word, but maybe a reflection of Jessica's soul. Um, You know, trying to convince Hope you've got to, you can fight this, you can do this. I'm the only person who believes you're innocent. It's, It's a mess for her, for sure. So, yeah. What else about Hope? What else is there to really... Yep. Talk about and slowly <laughs> and done slowly. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of talky talk in these episodes. I'm a man of action, Ben, not a man of talk. That's why I have a podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, I guess we move to Jessica and Hogarth. All right, I don't like Hogarth. I don't think you're supposed to like her that much. There's too many too many character changes going on here with Hogarth that I don't like. Now, just before, let me get in front of this one. I'm actually fine with Hogarth being a woman. You know, it's an, a good MCUing. Wouldn't you agree? I would. Uh, but and, and my my opinion honest, about a- my opinion about this has to wait until we have some more episodes under our belts to talk about why the change. I also think based on how I see Hogarth in the comics, Hogarth is also gender neutral, to be blunt. Um, but here's what I don't like about it. Hogarth in the comics, because I've read Iron Fist, the original run. I'm currently reading the Power Man and Iron Fist run. And Hogarth is helpful. <laughs> Hogarth is 
moral. I mean, Hogarth literally could have ran off with all of Danny Rand's money. Now, again, I know Danny Rand's not in the mix here, but, you know, I just, moral compass just seems to be lacking. This is a lawyerly lawyer who lawyers. My apologies, apologies to my lawyer friends. Well, it's a it's a cliche lawyer, yeah. Um, which I think that might be might come be part of the change is to say, okay, well, if this is just gonna be a cliche character, what can we do to make it different or different? You enough? know what it might be. They did such a good job with Foggy in Daredevil and making it so that the essential Foggy did work without being too ridiculous. I just wish they had done a little bit better with Hogarth. Well, there's more later for Hogarth to do, but from what we have here, you know, we know she's having an affair. We know that she is very much about, I will win, but I will never take a case that I can't win. And yeah, I I feel like there's a little bit of cliche stuff going on here. Um, but I mean, there's more. There's more to Hogarth, and that—that's the thing. Is even I mean, we talked about this last episode. There's more to all of these characters. It's just the question is, do we like them more? And she's not a likable person. No, she's not. And though I may want her on my side in court, that's just it. She may not be a good person, but she's a good lawyer. So, and I mean, her relationship with Jessica is based on admiration for. The ability to do the job and favors? Question mark. Well, favors because the way Jessica works, some of the stuff that Jessica does can't be paid for. Oh, I'm sure there's billable hours. Uh, some, some, but yeah, I, I she has a, a couple. Well, I, I should say she has one good line. About um, you know this this guy if he exists I would hire him to do all my jury selection. Mm-hmm. You know what a lawyerly thing to say for a cliched anything to get the job done and win kind of a lawyer. The only lawyers I know are actually really really nice. So I'm talking about you know lawyers from L.A. Law or something like that. But yeah, and then the, the whole cliches. I don't I don't represent losers. I don't represent losers. But Jessica just might have found a way for this to not be a losing case. And it would set precedence. They live in a universe with mind-controlling evil men, gods who come from portals from above. This kind of a law would it would set precedence. Here's you know a question though. All this lawyer stuff. Are you wondering where Matt Murdock could be? Well, or are no. You, are you even wondering where uh, um, Foggy's friend might be? Could, could not this have yet. been the same firm? No, it isn't. But it could have been. It's not. And it could and have I been. I guess I'm not wondering yet. I mean, I'm only two in. Okay. And I mean, this is the lawyer that Jessica knows, and yeah, we're only yeah. two in. And there's more than one lawyer in the city, obviously. Yep, it's a big city. And it's clearly not the sort of firm that's in the same circle that Matt travels in. No, no, but might be the kind of circles that Matt would go up against. But but. we haven't been there yet. So, I mean, let's be honest. It would be Matt who would be more likely to take the Hope case. Absolutely. 
But that would be a very different story later on. So we'll talk about yep. that later. So uh, shall we talk about Trish now then? Sure. I had I, I saw the weirdest Facebook rant about Trish. I also saw that. Did you? Yes. The the red hair. Yes. I couldn't believe that that was what made him turn Jessica Jones off was that Trish Walker didn't have red hair. I was very trying to figure out if he's being sarcastic. No, he wasn't because he got called out on it. And, um, you know, there, there's certain people that I'm like, yeah, I think I know. I, I, I think I know this, the kind of person this person is. And, you know, they, they react in this way to this or react in that way to that. This is not at all how I would have expected him to react. But uh, apparently Patricia Walker Hellcat is one of his uh, a character that he really, 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 really likes. And in the comics, uh, the character is red, red hair. And here she's blonde. And he he turned the show off because of this, the change that they did. The MCUing, if you would. And I mean, opinions are opinions, and I understand. But it just found it very odd that that's what caused him to turn it off. So... <laughs> It was humorous. She's definitely, though, filling the Captain Marvel role from AKA Jessica Jones. That tie to an old world, attempt to reconnect, close friend, yeah. coffee chat. She's also filling the Foggy Nelson role of that close friend and confidant. It's it's a different relationship, but I'm she glad she's there. What? She can't talk to Malcolm all day. I'm glad she's there, man. I mean, she is a true friend. A true friend is someone who sticks by you, even when you are just a horrible person to be around, but they're there for you because they know why you're a horrible person to be around. And that's why we're friends. Yeah. Even though I am a horrible yeah, person that, to, however you feel. to be around. But yeah. But there's some interesting stuff going on back and forth with them. And one is Trish, you know, comes and you need help. You need help. Let me in. Let me in. And then Jessica's like, don't. You can't come in. Don't have feelings about me because you're just going to get hurt. Feelings get you killed. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Trish, it would get a little bit more backstory on the uh, relationship. It sounds like Jessica at one time definitely lived with her. We know that for a fact. But was she there to protect her? Because now that she's gone, Trish is going to have to is is made a, a bunch of locks and other things on her doors. Um, she's become obsessed with doors. I mean, she tells Jessica, "You got to fix your door. Got to have a lock. You got to have a lock." You and can't. she knows what Jessica can do, but she still, you know, you got to have a lock. But she also knows what Kilgrave can do, and that's what's interesting. A lock's not going to stop Kilgrave. Yeah, yeah, and Jessica tells tells her this. But Jessica tells her this knowing that she knows. And yeah, this character, it's a good character to have. I mean, people need friends like this. People need friends who are going to try and push into your personal life to help you. To And, and so here we are, and Jessica's just pushing her away. And just get away, get away. And is pushing her away. Uh, in in a mean way, 
you know, she she says, you're relentless, you know, and, and Trish says, I'm taking that as a compliment. You heard it wrong. You're just like your mother, which totally sh- shuts down the line of communication. Mother. Trish, that's, a, that's a low blow. That's a low blow. I'm just saying, having been married for 20 years, I would never, ever, ever say that to a woman. Uh, no, no, yeah, I wouldn't, because, well, we're not going to get into the the whole that whole thing, uh, but we also do. We'll find out more later. Again, there's more going on for every character here and for every relationship, and for this one, there's a lot of history, and you know we'll see the history. But, yeah, and she's hiding bruises on her arms because she's in that uh, that training and and the yeah. And then finally, she's trying to help Jessica heal. And so you have that symbolized in two things. One, she sends a dude over to fix the door and doesn't tell Jessica. And two, she gets her a new window. Because she broke it, you know, last episode. So, yeah. Trish, she's the friend everyone needs to have or should want to have. Just like Mac used to be. Just and still is. Well, now that you're not trying to kill him. Still is. Uh, where do you want to go to next? You want to go to Kil- Kilgrave? Sure. All right. Yeah, Kilgrave. He's a haunting presence still. About two minutes of time. Yeah. But we hear a lot about him. We hear a lot about him. They're talking about him whenever he's not on the screen. It kind of goes back to that. I think I might have talked about this before, but with uh, The Magnificent Seven the Western remake of Seven Samurai. And they were talking to, oh, I can't remember his name now. Rats. But the guy who plays the villain, he's like, I'm only in the last half hour of the movie. And they convinced him to do the part because they said, yeah, but the whole rest of the movie, who are they talking about? They're talking about you. And so he did it. Eli Malik. Eli Malik. If you say it three times, he'll appear. <laughs> So, yeah, so he has one pretty awful scene, and then he has the flashback scene, and then he has the thing where he's kind of just haunting her her thoughts. He is not good with children. Oh, he was great. He told them he told them what to do, and they did it right away. It's true. Uh, you know, I don't have that kind of authority. Uh, probably it's a good thing that I don't have that kind of authority because that, again— it's pretty awful what he ends up doing with them. But he just walks into the house and says, you're going to let me in? Sure, come on in. You're going to make me dinner? Sure, here's some dinner. Uh, children should be seen and not heard. Go into the closet. Okay, you too. I have to go to the bathroom. Go in the closet. Okay. And it's just, they're passive. They're obedient. It's awful. Just awful. It is. And again, you see that urine coming out from under the door, and you're like, ah. Uh, very You awful. know, last time that hope... She messed herself. Now we got this kid. It's a kid. They're, they can't protect themselves. Ugh. Terrible. And at this point, I'm thinking to myself, this is really, really awful, but I don't know anything about him. And I'm curious about him, but there's not much to hang on here. And there's not much, you know, it's a slow reveal, just like we have with Wilson. So. Yeah. Now now we're getting to some more more of the smaller characters. Like Detective Oscar Clemens, who, like we said, is a six one six character. 
their relationship is completely antagonistic, but they're both detectives, you know? One just has to have a papers filed with the state. And the other one has a badge and is able to do things, you know, with impunity. And... So you know about those Hell's Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen cops? Well, I do because I watched a whole 13 hours about them. They do what they how want. Corrupt they are. But, they do what yeah. they want. Then we have Reuben and Robin upstairs, which. Yeah, that's a weird relationship. It is. It is. It gets explained but, and then it gets more weird. So we're going to. But I mean, we all get it. I mean, Ben, when I originally moved up. Uh, to my new location, I lived in a townhouse, and in the townhouse next to me were some mid-20-somethings that every Friday and Saturday morning had parties. And when I say they had parties, Ben, I mean to like 5 a.m. And I had a kid. So that was fun. Um, I may have a- gotten harassed once when I went over to tell them that, you know, they needed to settle down. <laughs> Didn't go as well as it went for Jessica. I, I did get a hug, I think. I was a little terrified in time. I, my friends don't touch me, Ben. Just saying. I know this. I don't even try. Now, the fact that there's you know a few thousand miles in between us makes it easy. I've always try, appreciated but, that about you. Yeah. But, you know, we'll find out more. Again, there's more about these characters. We are in a 13-hour movie rather than these episodic things. So we're not going to do, oh, here's the, the Reuben and Robin episode that introduces them. No, we're going to get tidbits here and there, and it's going to build. And the same with Hogarth, and the same with all the other characters. But, yeah, it's... I thought it was a domestic abuse situation. I thought it was a husband and wife who the husband was, you know, almost uh, abusing the wife. And then we find out it's... a domestic abuse situation. Well, but we find out it's the twin sister, not the husband, who's doing some of what you would consider the abuse. Um. And then we just find out that the the guy just is not real socially adjusted, uh, Reuben. And Robin also, you know, and, and then we find out their brother and sister it feels even a little more awkward. But yeah. And okay, so now let's talk about a little bit about the religious lady and her son. Which ah, uh, this is a really hard scene to watch. Well, I mean he's there because he was the bus driver. Right? The ambulance driver. Yeah, the ambulance driver. There we go. Um, And he disappeared and and gets found with two missing kidneys, but because he, like, stole the ambulance, you know, to take uh, Kilgrave to, you know, somewhere else instead of the hospital, he's, he's got no support from his pension or anything like that. And he's, he's on dialysis because he gave up both of his kidneys, which we find out that the doctor uh, gave to Kilgrave. And I think my question is, is is Kilgrave paying for the dialysis machine or is the doctor? I get the impression it's the doctor. That's because the trail leads to directly to the doctor. True. But, did it get set up by Kilgrave? I don't know. I, I, my feeling is, and maybe I'm reading the scenes wrong and and the the dialogue, but that Karada, the doctor, wants to make up for the evil that he did. 
and so that lurks in the hearts of men. So he's the anonymous angel that the religious lady talks about, and um, yeah, but I, you know this this woman, it's one of those like she is just a crackpot. She's just a nut. And if we didn't have the the priest in Daredevil to offset this, where he's just an honest guy who really believes what he believes and wants to do right by the world and do right by God, this is a woman who's just completely delusional. You know? But it doesn't mean she's not sincere. Oh, she's sincere, but she's a nut. She's a nutcase. I mean, I think if anything, one of the questions I had for myself is when her son says, kill me, is part of it the fact that he's stuck there with mom? It's a, a huge part of it. He can't go anywhere else. He's not going to get away. He has someone who's taking care of him, but they're someone who, like I said, is a nut. Um, you know, God brought him back to me. Well, that might be true, but then she says, don't flirt with my boy and get him excited. You know, because all the girls love him and yeah, she's no, all the girls love me. Their number one lover, heavy D. Clearly, she's delusional. And, and I'm not. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Jessica's response to her, that's what, again, this whole episode is hanging on her. And it's all about her responses to these people as she's investigating. Uh, and I'm glad they're doing investigation stuff with her. And even though it's for herself, that I'm glad she's doing this because it shows that she's good. She's good at what she does. Well, and really when we joke about the slowness, a lot of the slowness comes down to the fact that it's because she's investigating. Yeah. So then another part of the investigation is, like we said, Dr. David Carrada, who um, starts out just he's a, he's scared. He sees her and he knows something's wrong. So he runs. That's the first thought that he has is to run in the middle of class. We've all been there. I've I've thought about running away from class. I taught, you know. But then he's a source of information. He's a, a good source of information and helps her figure out what, what uh, Kilgrave's weakness would be. You put him under and he loses control. And so he went through the whole kidney operation without being put under with any kind of anesthesia. It was a little localized, which that's pretty amazing. So. Well, it's also not real. Yeah, but it's part of the character arc. It's part of the character's uh, who he is and how he does things. So, so we know his weakness now, and she has a weapon against against him. So, the final relationship here is is Jessica and Luke's lady, and that just uh, the only reason I want to talk about her is it kind of goes back to that that early statement in in the first episode where you they start blaming her you know jessica screwed up the marriage now jessica lied that's true and their marriage might be fine other than they're lying <laughs> and she's having an affair but she blames jessica for ruining the marriage and, and no jessica didn't ruin the marriage the lady did when she started stepping out on her man and 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 having an affair that's what kind of hurt the, the or ended the, the the marriage ruining the marriage was all happening ahead of time so they their relationship was dead a long time ago according to her so yeah you're true it's true i so here we are 
at the end of this episode, we've been watching Kristen Ritter constantly for an hour. Can we hang an episode like this on her? Can we hang 13 of them on her? Is she doing well for you as of this episode, Daniel? I think so. I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, she's really poured herself into this character. Just because I say the episode's slow doesn't mean that she's, as an actress, isn't engaging and interesting. Because she is. Yeah. And, I mean, very easily, we could not like her. She is supposed to be not likable. I mean, uh, it's on purpose. It's a persona in some ways. And we're kind of getting to some theme here. But... um you know, when she was trying to find out information about the where the ambulance would go from that accident point. And the guy that she's asking tries to flirt with her and he says, rude girl is lonely girl. And she says, that's that's the point. You know, she wants people to not come in. She wants to keep people at arm's length. And so she uses sarcasm. She uses meanness. She uses all these things to keep people out. And Trish is that friend who has to try and keep pushing back in. So what kind of themes are you seeing here in this episode, Daniel? I mean, I, I wrote down a handful of them. One of them being that uh, rude girl is lonely girl, but that goes hand in hand with the idea that uh, Jessica, I can't risk you. I'm dangerous. Well, I was going to go with the theme of slow. <laughs> uh, another one that I would pull out of here is the, the idea that, God didn't do this. The devil did when she's talking to the the man who wants her to assist her in suicide. I mean, she, he wants her to assist him in suicide. Um, starts writing something down and she thinks he's writing on Kilgrave. He's actually writing kill me. Um, but the religious lady said, God brought my son back. And she says, no, it's not God. The devil did this. And that's assigning blame to where it should be assigned. Kilgrave. About time. Yeah. Uh, Kilgrave is the one who did this, you know, and he will he'll pay for this. You, I just need your help. Tell me what you can. He doesn't tell her much. So. But she gets it from the machine. Then there's the kind of the, the visual image of the, the cockroach and her smashing it at the end of the episode just to kind of, you know, if you weren't already ready for this, you know, be ready. I'm going after him. Um, and then I did notice there's a lot of, and, and this is the, the whole series too, but invasion is another theme. It's something that happens a lot too, where you have Luke Cage just lets himself into her apartment. The guy who's fixing her door just lets her, himself into her apartment. Um, Kilgrave just lets himself into that house. It's the, the police just let themselves into her apartment and take what they want, even without a warrant. Uh, they go into Luke Cage's bar. He obviously does not want them there, but he goes, or they, they go, rather. Um, and that's something that we're going to come back to, uh, just because of the nature of what Kilgrave does. And finally, weakness. She talks about her weakness, is that sometimes she cares. Kilgrave's weakness is anesthetic. <laughs> So, yeah. So I want to do something here, Daniel. Uh, I want to, I want to do something a little different here. 
Okay. And, that, I th- and it's going to use a sounder. All right. Uh-oh. So are you ready for it? Okay. Let's hear it. Well, I want to do the broken window count. Oh. So last episode we had a window break. And this episode, she, she uh, Jessica broke a subway window. And so I, I'm keeping track. I'm not going to keep track. You know, we're not going to say this many windows broke in this episode. But I, I do want to keep track and see if she breaks a window in every episode. Uh, I'm trying to remember, you know, and, and toward the end of the series, I was like, she breaks windows an awful lot. And so far, episode one and episode two, she's broken windows in both of those episodes. So there's there's two episodes of broken windows. And the other thing, Daniel, mm-hmm. we, we, we're going to talk about an actor every episode. Well, the actor I want to talk about today is Rachel Taylor. Well, thank heavens, because you literally told me I had to not even look her up. Yeah, yeah. Now, she's been in Jessica Jones, obviously. She was one of the angels in Charlie's Angels. Uh, and I think I watched like one episode Is that the of that. reboot TV series? The reboot, the reboot TV series, yeah. She was one of yeah, the angels. Yeah, didn't see it. Uh, she was on Grey's Anatomy. I, and I've been trying to figure out, okay, where do I know her from? These are all things that, that I've seen. Is it One Tree Hill? No, she was on Transformers, the first Transformers oh, movie. Oh, that's where I know her from. Yes. And Daniel, she's also got another Marvel connection. Okay. From 10 years ago. 2005. Do you know what Marvel movie came out in 2005? Remember. Man-Thing. Oh, she was the female lead in Man-Thing. I think I'm walking that's, away. that's how I knew her. You just her. need to do it. Drop a, drop a mic. Yeah. Just drop it. Yeah. I'm not going to drop a mic. But... Yeah. So that's the episode. That is um, uh, Crush Syndrome. <laughs> My goodness. So I think we have a little bit of feedback, Daniel. All right. Let's hear so it. Let's uh, play our sounder here for our... Uh, Witness statements. Witness statements. Well, and because of our recording schedule, Daniel, people don't know when we're recording about what, and we we, we don't one. even know. Yeah. So this is from uh, Agent Jeff or uh, Detective Jeff, whatever we're going to call it. Uh, subject line is Jessica Jones, Episode One: The Struggle Is Real, and this is what he writes in to say: This is going to be a dark show. The scene in the hotel room was unsettling. Hope's frantic struggle to stay in the room was a great show-don't-tell moment to establish Kilgrave's power of, of persuasion. And the twist ending shocked me. This series is going to be bleak. I'm also pretty excited about Trish. I've got a soft spot for C-list Avengers, and I will take all the heroes they want to give us. Wow, I can't believe my wife didn't shut that off. I was surprised by the R-rated content. I expected the language, but I figured they would rein in the sexual content. While I wouldn't necessarily call the scene erotic, even showing more nudity wouldn't have made it more graphic. Jessica's got issues, and I'm pretty pumped to see where this goes. As a general rule, I don't care for psychologically disturbing content, but as long as it's MCU, I'm along for the ride. Smile, Jeff. So that's that's our feedback for this episode. And um, anything you send in or call in, we will use it as soon as we can as far as what episode you're talking about. So if you talk about episode seven, 
in your feedback, then we're going to wait until episode seven to actually use it. But that is uh, one advantage to doing it this way because you can send it in now and or you could send it in later where we're going to use it whenever we can. And and I I, I really want to hear what people think about this series and, and specifics about uh, some of these themes and stuff that they're, that they're building on and, and using. Okay, well, with the feedback out of the way, Daniel, I think it's time for the the final report. What do you think? Let's go there. Final report. All right, Daniel. So with Netflix series, we rate the episodes. I don't know why we do it for Netflix series other than we just started doing it for Daredevil and it was Netflix and now we're in another one. So we're not going to do this for Agent Carter. We're not doing this for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We don't do it for movies. But here we are. And Daniel, I think it's time for you and I to put all our cards on the table and give a numerical rating to how much we enjoyed this episode. All right. Well, I feel like there's a broken window, maybe a broken number here. I'm going to give this a 3.89. So 3.89 broken windows out of five. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. All right. And you know what I'm going to do, Daniel? Yeah. I'm going to give this episode a solid four. Solid. Solid four. I feel like I, uh, Huh. Okay. All right. So, yeah, uh, I think that's that's our cue then, Daniel, to to move on. Home, stop recording, go join our families in a less depressing area of of life than Jessica Jones and all the the darkness that goes with it. Off we go. Don't get depressed. Don't get depressed, friends. <laughs> So any, any final words before we, we sign off? No, I, I just want people not to be depressed when they watch the show. You know, don't feel like you have to engulf in all of it. Just yeah. don't binge. Mix it up. Put some other things in there. Yeah, like, um, I don't know, The Flash, which I haven't watched. but Oh, Flash. Again, good, good counterpoint. But isn't that a great thing right now? Here we are in, in a year where we have a show like the flash, which embraces all the goofiness of superheroes takes it seriously and gives a fun show. But then you also have Jessica Jones, which kind of puts the goofiness off at arm's length, but it's still there, but it takes this very serious, somber you know, superhero metaphor of, of some pretty serious subject matters. And, but then you have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. doing the spy thing and superhero-powered team-ups and stuff like that. And and you have Ant-Man. I mean, it's just it's a good time to enjoy this kind of stuff. So, All that said, Daniel, I just have to tell you something, man. Every week we get together, you and I, we talk, you and I. And you keep trying to make me better, Daniel. You keep trying to build me up. You keep trying to, to point out those places where... Frankly, I'm broken. But Daniel, the truth is, I, I think you know where I'm going with this, right? I think so. Okay. Yeah. You can't fix me. I'm unbreakable.
Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. And you can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcome to level 7 or connect with us on Twitter where we're level 7 pod. And remember, the 7 is spelled out. Our theme music is I Knew a Guy and On the Ground by Kevin McLeod at IncomTech.com, licensed under the Creative Commons license. Hey, Daniel, you want to talk about Heroes Reborn? Yeah. Too bad.